our strength. You are our shield. You are our source of strength. There's men and women in here this morning who need to know that. They need to know that they can still have their dreams. Even though things didn't turn out the way that they thought they would, they can still have their dreams and they can still be fulfilled. And Lord, I thank you for your strength. I thank you for being my shield throughout these past five years. I thank you for being that rock, that tower. And Lord, I pray that you would allow everyone here to know you in that way, to know that you will always, 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 no matter what takes place in our life, you'll always be there to sustain us and carry us. And we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise this morning. In Jesus' name, we all said, give him a hand this morning. Amen. Give the worship team a hand as they leave the altar. Turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 15. And we uh, have been studying the book of Genesis, scripture by scripture, uh, paragraph by paragraph, and uh, we're up to 15. It's only taken us a year and a half to get here. <laughs> Probably take us another two years to finish, but that's the beauty of God's word. And while you're standing, I found a joke. And it's aimed toward pastors, but you could all fill your own names in there, believe me. It says, uh, lately, Pastor Mike had grown weary from the demands of his growing church. He was getting very little sleep, and a couple of the people in the church had really been putting him to the test. So, this is not me, this is a joke, okay? So one beautiful spring Sunday morning, he decides that he would feel so much better if he had a relaxing round of golf. Pretending he was sick, he calls the leaders and informs them that he is sick and will not be able to make it that day. He scheduled a, in a guest speaker so everything was in control without him. As Pastor Mike was preparing to tee off on the first hole, the Archangel Michael looked over the shoulder of the father and said, I'm sorry, sir, but what are you going to do? Pastor Mike called in to his leaders and said he was sick. He lied to them and to the church, and he's skipping church altogether. Shouldn't you punish him for his behavior? Sure, said the father. I'm going to make him hit a hole in one on every hole. A hole in one on every hole, said Michael? That's not punishment. That's a blessing. No one has ever done that, and you're going to help this lazy, lying pastor score a hole in one on every hole? How is that punishment? The father said, who's he going to tell? <laughs> so when you ditch church, who are you going to tell? You may get some blessings, but who are you going to tell? Genesis chapter 15. Don't try it, okay? Don't try it. 
Genesis chapter 15, we're going to read from verses 1 through 6. And my, uh, the title of my message, Lenny may change it, but right now, it's a question. What happened to your dream? What happened to your dream? Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, and it reads like this. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. And Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all the blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no, depend no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own and will, who will be your heir. Then the Lord told, took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Verse 1, I read it in the Living Translation, but if you read it in the other versions, it says, I am your shield, I am your protector, and your reward will be great. Go ahead and have a seat. Amen. The very first verse of chapter 15 is so important to all of us because this is the very first verse, and it's real distinct. Is that You're not going to find a whole lot of verses that have this in the Bible. It's the first mention of the word vision and reward in the same sentence. Vision and reward. And that's why it says that God came... The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, don't be afraid. I will protect you. I'll be your shield. Your reward will be great. So many of us have dreams. And some of them have been able to come to pass. And some of your dreams haven't. I don't know how many of you remember a football player called Deion Sanders. And he's no longer uh, playing. But in his prime, he was prime time. That was his Nickname, Dion Primetime Sanders. And actually, he played two positions in sports. He was an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves, and he was also a cornerback for the Atlanta Falcons. He is the only athlete to have hit a major home run and scored an NFL touchdown in the same week. Nobody has ever done that before. He was so versatile, he could play baseball and football. But he grew up on the streets of Fort Myers, Florida. And there were a lot of other athletes who also grew up around those streets. And when you're in the streets, you know how guys are. You know, I'm, I'm going to be somebody. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And, and what Deion Sanders says is that when he was surrounded by all of these different athletes, he desired to make a success of himself. He was surrounded by all these other guys who were running and jumping and, and playing football. And he says, I'm, I'm going to do something. But what all of the guys that he grew up around, he called them Idas. And the reason he called them Idas was because he said, this is how they used to talk. If I'd have done this, I'd have been making a million dollars today. If I'd have practiced a little bit harder, I'd be a superstar. Dion says, they were as fast as me when we were kids, but 
But instead of working for their dreams, they chose drugs and they chose a life on the streets. So when I was young, I had my practice and my friends would go straight to the streets. We need to grab on and hold on to our dreams because if not, we're just going to be another Ida. What are your dreams? What dreams have you just let go? The scripture that I read this morning have a lot to do with dreams, have a lot to do with vision, have a lot to do with the things that we hold dear to our life. And the first thing that I wanted to bring out is that one, the first thing is, number one, realize that your dream is going to be tested. In verse 1, the first word of chapter 15, verse 1 says, afterward. After what? We have to look back to find out what happened. What had been happening in the life of Abram up to this point? Well, in Genesis chapter 12, we already learned that Abram had to leave his home at age 75. So he sets out, not knowing where he's going to go, but he sets out wherever God is sending him. And then he finds himself in the middle of famine. And when he's in a place where there is no food, he's forced to take his family, his herds, his herdsmen, his flocks, and they have to all go into Egypt. And when he's in Egypt, we already learned how he lied about his wife. He said that his wife was his sister so that Pharaoh wouldn't kill him. He was more afraid for his own life than he was for his wife. Thank God that God protected Sarah so that she didn't have to become a part of the harem and she was returned to her husband untouched. That's a character flaw in Abram's life, and we talked about lying, but we were also able to see how weak Abram was. There's no excuse for his lying, but sometimes when we get caught in a lie, and I think we've all been caught in a lie at one point in our life, sometimes it stops us from doing anything. Sometimes we feel like, okay, we can't do anything anymore, but I want to let you know something. If I look at Abram's life, that didn't stop him. He just kept on going. He didn't stop his journey because he failed. He didn't stop his journey of going forward and obeying God for the future because he messed up. Because not only did, remember, not only did the king know, not only did the subjects know, not only did his whole kingdom know, but the whole city knew and they kicked him out. They kicked him out of the city. They kicked him out of the country. Everybody knew. And you would think that you would just say, you know what, everybody knows. Man, I'm busted. What am I going to do? He didn't, stop, he didn't stop. He didn't say, well, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to be able to do anything for God. No, he kept on keeping on. So in Genesis 12, his dream was tested by famine and failure. The second thing that his dream was tested by was by conflict. And that's what we find in Genesis 13. How there was a conflict between him and his nephew Lot and their herdsmen, and there wasn't enough land for all of their flocks, so they started fighting. And Abram told his nephew, pick whatever land you want, I'll take the other. And we all know Lot picked the wrong place, picked Sodom. It was greener, looked nicer, it looked like it was going to give him profit, so he picked that place, but it turned out to be to his detriment because he not only started looking at Sodom, the Bible says that pretty, pretty soon he was living in Sodom and his whole family was devastated because he had wrong priorities in his life. 
Even though Abram could have taken first pick, he was older, he was the uncle, he chose to be unselfish. So in Genesis 13, we see that his dream was tested by conflict. The third thing was that Abram's dream was tested by war and prosperity. And this is where we were at in Genesis 14, the last time that we were in to Genesis. We see that Abram had to rescue Lot from being taken captive, how the kings of Sodom and the kings of Gomorrah all got together and they were all taken captive as slaves, including his nephew Lot. So that was the consequence of Lot living in Sodom. And so Uncle Abram gets his servants together, goes in there and rescues Lot and rescues all the whole city and all the loot and everything and brings it all back. And this is when he meets Melchizedek. And all of this we've already studied. I'm just kind of giving you a general overview. When Abram meets Melchizedek, who's the king of Salem, this is the importance of Melchizedek because he was a priest. The Bible says he was a priest. He was a priest king. There is no other priest king in the Bible except Jesus. He was the only one. So this is significant that Melchizedek is labeled a priest king. Secondly, there is no origin of Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. We don't know who his mother is, who his father is. We don't know anything about him. All we know is that he was a king and he was a priest. But that's why Hebrews 5, 6 and Psalms 110, 4 emphasizes that Jesus was a priest and a king after the order of Melchizedek. They tied them in together. Now there are some theologians that believe that this was Jesus who came incarnate in the form of Melchizedek. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went to. People believe that, and theologians have a lot of things to say about that. That's not where I'm going today. I just wanted to kind of throw that out to you. But he wasn't from the normal line of a priest, which was from the line of Aaron. He, Jesus was a priest king supernaturally, just like this man was. We don't know where he came from. We don't know where he went to, but here he was. So... What does Abram do when he meets this Christ-like man? He pays them his tithes. And this is the first time we ever hear of tithes. We ever hear about an act of worship in giving. And that's why it's important for you to remember that paying your tithes is an act of worship. That's what you're doing. You're worshiping him. You're not like, oh, man, some of us are squeaking to get out the wallet, you know, to break out the checkbook, to... Put the money in the envelope. That's your worship. If you're squeaking when you worship, you're squeaking when you're raising your hands and singing. It's the same thing. So tithes was established back then. It's not under the law. It's actually before the law. He worshiped God by giving. But this wasn't the end of his stewardship because when the king of Sodom offers Abram to keep all the spoils of the battle, Abram says, uh-uh. I'm not keeping anything because you are not going to go down in history as you making me rich. When I get rich, it's because God has blessed me. And this is what we need to remember. We studied about this a couple of weeks ago. You got to remember that when you get prosperous, you got to do it right. Nothing underneath the table, nothing 
in somebody else's name, don't put that check or in your dog or cat's name. Don't put it in your kid's name. Don't, don't be having your telephone bill in your kid's name. Don't be having all, all these other things. You know, you don't do things like that. You don't get blessed like that. You get blessed when you're honest and when you're forthright. That's when you get blessed. And Abram wasn't about to allow the king of Sodom to ever get any glory in making him rich. He says, when I get rich, it's because God is going to make me rich. And that's how God does it. God makes us prosperous. He's the one that does it. So Abram wanted everyone to know who his God was and how God blessed. He refused material goods because he was a man of principle. So Abram's vision was not only tested by famine and failure and conflict, but it was tested by war and prosperity. This is what came before the afterward. We looked at that word afterward, all of that. Now we're going to read and study what happened after that. After all of that, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. After, after Abram stepped out in faith and left his homeland, after he had been through the famine, after he had embarrassed himself by lying to the king of Egypt, after he had split with his family member Lot, after he had fought and won the battle with the Babylonian kings, after he passed the test of possessions and prosperity, after all of those tests, that's when God spoke to him in a vision. After all of that stuff, a lot of us would have given up after the first test. After the first test, we would have gone, I'm through. Everybody knows I lied. Everybody knows I sinned. Everybody knows I failed. Oh, no, I'm not going back. I'm not going to do it. I'm, uh -uh. I'm done. And we give up on the vision and the dream that God has given us because we're always looking at ourselves. We're always looking at how people are looking at us. Abram didn't let any of these tests, the warfare, the conflict, the prosperity, the embarrassment, the shame, nothing was able to keep him from moving forward and attaining the vision and the dream that God had given to him. That's the reason that so many dreams that God has given you never come to pass. You have dreams that God has given you. You have visions that you've had since the day you got saved. Six months after you got saved, a year after you got saved, and where are they? What are you doing? You've given up. You gave up too soon. Those that see their God-given dreams are the ones who persevere through those tough times. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Is it difficult? A thousand times, yes. But those people who refuse to quit, those people who persevere, those people who keep on going when everything is in their way, those are the ones who get their dreams met. Those are the ones that God is able to fulfill his call in their life. See, that's the biggest difference between winners and losers. In every field of business, in every field of sports, even in your marriages, even in your family life, some of you are successful because you persevere. You have a bigger attitude about your test. Some of you, you go through little things. Little things and you make them so big. How sad that we have 50% of marriages that work out. And I'm talking about Christians. Because you, you, you give up. You give up. People who fulfill their God-given dreams 
aren't always the most brilliant. They're all, not always the most talented. They're, all, they're not the most skilled, but they are the people who don't give up. They keep on, keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. They refuse to let go the dream. See, God will work through the patriarchs in the Bible or any other person just like he works in our life. But it's not going to happen overnight. It takes years of testing, years of molding, years of refining, years of holding on. Do you think that this just happened? It didn't just happen. This happened over 27 years ago when we first came to Hayward. That's when this happened. It was a vision. It was a dream. This wouldn't have happened had we not held on. Had we not said, you know what, we can do this. Had we not said, you know what, obstacles come, things have happened, crises, pain, grief, suffering, all that has happened, but I'm going to keep on keeping on. That's what has to happen. But why? Why have we given up on our God-given dream? God hasn't given up on the dream that he gave it to you. He hasn't given up on it. Sometimes God can't act and fulfill his dream because our minds are cluttered with so much other stuff. He needs our undivided attention. That's why the testings and that's why the trials come. They're not meant to discourage us. They're meant to draw us closer to him. Sometimes you go through testings and you go through discouragements and what you do is you stay away. I'm not going to go to church today. I'm not going to go to Sunday night service. I'm not going to go Wednesday. I'm not even going to go to Bible study. And you begin to isolate, isolate, isolate yourself. And you get further and further and further away. When you used to be right there, you used to be close. You used to have friends that were right there. They were the ones that were hitting the altar. Now your friends are all the ones that are sitting in the back row. What happened to your God-given dream? Your testings and your trials are not there to discourage you. They're there to draw you closer. Psalm 37, 34, 17, and 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those whose spirits have been crushed. There's a lot of people in here, as I look at your faces, that have had spirits that have been crushed. But what did you do when your spirit was crushed? Did you draw close or did you draw further away? One of my favorite, favorite quotes is from A.W. Tozer, and he said this. It is doubtful God can use any man or woman greatly until he has hurt them deeply. So many of you are saying, well, I've been hurt deeply. But what did you do with it? What did you do with that pain? What did you do with that suffering? Did you use it to draw closer to him? Did you use it to get, get to know another part of his character? Did you use it to, to just draw near to him? Or did you use it as an excuse to not draw near to him? See, testings in our lives can be God's pruning shears. That's why it says in John 15, 1 and 2, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts away every branch 
of mine that doesn't produce fruit, but he trims clean every branch that does produce fruit so that it will produce even more fruit. John 15, 15, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit, but you cannot do anything without me. See, it's so tempting when everything is going right and we're all in that same boat. When everything's going good and the money's coming in and, and your marriage is good and your kids are fine and everybody loves you, man, where is God? He's far because you're doing it. You're doing it and it's good. But we all know that we can't do anything without God's help. You're not going to do anything that's going to last without God's help. Having our dreams tested helps us to remember that. See, remember, Abram was at a point where God told him, Abram, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about something. And Abram was ready to listen. Why? Because look at all the testings he had gone through. Look at all the difficulties that he had experienced, the shame, the embarrassment, the warfare, the conflict, the prosperity, all of those testings in his life. And now when God says, Abram, I want to talk to you. See, up to this time, we don't ever hear of God coming and talking to Abram in a vision, ever. After Abram passed these tests, God gave him a vision. After. So what should be our attitude toward our vision, toward the dream? Realizing that our dreams are going to be tested. Secondly, we need to remember that God gives the encouragement. It says that the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision. The Bible says that God is spirit in John 4.24. He's not contained in a physical body except when Jesus was here. Jesus took on the human form so that God was able to speak to us through Jesus. But most of the time, he has to speak through us through either the word or visions. There wasn't a Bible available in Abram's day. He couldn't turn to the book of Genesis and say, okay, what am I supposed to do, God? God wants to communicate with us. He needs to communicate with us. He can communicate with us, like Romans 1 says, he communicates with us through creation. If you go outside after church, look at creation. That's how God speaks to us. I know the first time I ever went to Yosemite, and I looked at all of the beauty of that national park, and I could see God's hand all over that. And I, wow, the majesty, the awesomeness of God. The Bible says in Romans 1 that he also speaks to us through our conscience. You ever been told something? Don't do that. Don't turn on that computer. Turn off that TV show. Walk out of that movie Hang up the phone. Don't call. Get out of your surrounding area. That's your conscience. The Bible says that's how he speaks to us. But he also communicates through his word. He communicates through it, his written word and his living word. You're the living word. Through him, God speaks to all of us. But he also speaks to us through the written word. Wouldn't it be wonderful if God would speak to us through a vision? No. 
Because you have the word. And how many of you open up your word on a daily basis? You say, well, I would listen to God if he came to me in a vision. I don't think so. You have it right there. It's right there in front of you. You don't even open your word there, but you would listen to a vision? Sometimes we use that excuse. I just need God to appear to me. He's right there. He's as close as your Bible. He can speak to you. He can mold you. He can shape you. What would happen if you really heard from God? If you really, really heard from him, you'd probably be able to do the greatest thing, and that is to conquer your fear. The word of God conquers all fear. And fear is the biggest obstacle to realizing the dream and vision that God has given us. Fear is a dream killer. You ever want to not fulfill your dream? Operate in fear. My husband used to always say, keep your faith level right above your fear level. We all got fears. All of us have fears. When we were, you know, one of my fears, when I go to the Philippines, and I thank God, in 13 years, 13 years, I have not seen a crack. A crat is a rat that looks like a cat. <laughs> They're that big. And, um, and I haven't seen them, and God has been faithful. That's, that's a fear. That's a real fear. In fact, uh, it's so funny because I, I was speaking in the Philippines, and, uh, and they have a problem there with cats that come in out of nowhere. There's like, there's, you know, like if... I don't know where they come in, but I was speaking, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw what I thought was a crat, and, uh, and, and, and I saw something moving, and I'm, and I'm speaking like this, and then all of a sudden, I turned, and that thing jumped, and I, was, I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, and I was holding on to the pulpit. Okay, give me a few minutes. I need to catch my breath. Everybody was laughing because you know what? God has been faithful. It was just a cat. It wasn't a crat. But I always try to keep my faith level. I'm believing God. 13 years, is God's been faithful. Sometimes we get distracted in our life. We get more distracted today than Abram did. Sometimes it's hard for us to hear that still, small voice of the Lord. And instead of listening to that still, small voice, what do we do? We listen to all the other voices around us. We, what do you think? What do you think? And we don't go to people who are going to tell us the Bible. We go to people who we know are going to tell us what we want to hear. Should I do this? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I thought so too. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. You go to somebody who's Bible-believing, has convictions, knows right from wrong, go to them. And they'll take you to the word of God. They won't tell you what they think. They'll tell you what the word says. And when you go to somebody who knows the word, they'll, they'll give you the direction that you need to have. But when you don't want to hear the word, when you want to hear other voices, you'll go to your friends. You'll go to people who will tell you what you want. Rather than listening to what the Lord has to say. Jeremiah 17.5 says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. 
And I know each and every one of us have at some time done this. We've reached for the phone whenever we've had a problem. We've reached for, you know, somebody right after church. What do you think? That should not be our first impulse, reaching for the phone. Next time, reach for your word. Find out what really God wants to tell you. Find out the direction that he wants you to go to attain the dream that he's already given you. And then you need to replace your fear with faith. He told Abram, don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. Now, what would Abram have to be afraid of? Why would God tell him, don't be afraid? Would you think that maybe he had just conquered the Babylonian kings, that they might come back for retaliation? They might come back because he had not only conquered them, but he had stolen everything. And after they got their, themselves together, they go, you know what? He only had 318 servants. Let's go back. Let's do it to him what he did to us. I'm sure he probably was a little bit of afraid of that. But no, Abram had already survived all that test of warfare. The greatest test of Abram was his test of faith. See, God had promised to make him a great nation. He had told him, you're going to have descendants as much as the stars. But you already know the problem. Abram and Sarah were too old. They were up there. How could God fulfill his promise when they were too old? But the Bible says that Abram believed the Lord. He was still wondering how. How are you going to do this? But he believed him. And have you ever gotten to the point where you actually believe God? You really believe, but you don't know how he's going to do it. So what you do is you come up with your own little plan of how it's going to happen. See, because that's what Abram did. He believed God. The Bible says he believed him. But he goes, well, you know, here's my plan. Eliezer, he's my servant. He could be the one that is going to be fulfilled. And then Sarah, she says, well, you know what? It ain't going to happen through me. So here's my plan. Use my servant Hagar and let her be the one. We always have our own little plan. God says, this is what I want to do. This is the dream that I've given you. This is the vision. He said, well, God, but why don't we do it this way? Or why don't we do it that way? We have our own little way of how God is going to do it. But both the plans of Abram and Sarah missed the mark because both of them had fear all mixed up in it. They just didn't know how God was going to do it. But God wanted Abram's child to be a child of faith, not of fear. Because he said, don't be afraid, Abram. It isn't humanly possible. But with me, all things are possible. All things. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, it could happen. It could happen. And the last thing is that a great reward awaits you. See, the Hebrew word for shield, and this is one of the reasons why I love that song, is that a shield stands for protection. And we all know what a shield is for. It's to protect you in the battle. But the battle that God wants to protect us from is not a physical one. It's a spiritual one. Ephesians 6, 12, and 13 says we are fighting against not, we are not fighting against humans. We are fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. So put on the whole armor of God. 
So when the evil day comes, you will be able to defend yourself. And when the battle is over, you will be able to be standing firm. One of my favorite scriptures is Psalm 3.3. Thou, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. And I love that scripture because so many times when things happen, we have to remind ourselves, you're my shield, oh God. You are my protector. And not only that, you're the lifter of my head. I'm not going to walk around like this. I have to lift my head up because that's who you are in my life. See, a shield is a defensive barrier between you and the enemy. That stands between both of you. It keeps the weapons of the enemy from destroying you. It keeps the, the weapons of the enemy from killing you. A shield gives us the understanding that there's strength because you're hiding behind something. And God says, I am your shield. I am your strength. He is our shield against the enemy. So when you put your faith in him, he becomes your shield. He becomes a defensive barrier. In other words, Satan cannot destroy your life. He can attack you, but he cannot destroy you because God is your shield. He is your strength. He is your source. And when you have a shield, the only thing that can penetrate a shield is what's supposed to penetrate a shield. That's it. Which means... That if there are things happening in your life, God is allowing them to get through because he is your shield. And if there are things that are taking place, the testings in your life, God is allowing them to grow you, to strengthen you, to enable you to run to him and not try to figure things out in your own way. When you have a shield, the only things that get through are the things that are supposed to get through. Ephesians 6.16 says, let your faith be like a shield and you will be able to stop the flaming arrows of the evil one. Our faith is able to see things and go through things because God is our shield. He is our shield. When Walt Disney's widow was being interviewed after the completion of the Disney World in Florida, there was a reporter that told her, isn't it a shame that your husband never got to see this? And she said, she corrected him. She said, he did see it. That's why it's here. Amen. That's why it's here. And I, I, when I, I was reading this and I said, you know, that's why this beam is here, because my husband saw it. He first saw that when we first walked in. I didn't see it. All I saw was just this little area right here. That's all we had was just this little area. And that's all I saw. But he saw all of this. And that's why it's happening. Because he had a dream. And all we're doing is that we're just fulfilling the dream together. We're fulfilling the dream that God had given him, that God has given this church to fulfill. you got to see the bigger picture here. Abram was one of those people that kept going forward, didn't look at the test, didn't look at the struggle, didn't look at the conflict. He focused on the vision and he focused on the dream. What dream did God give you that you haven't done anything with? What dream did you have that was given to you in that secret time with the Lord? 
that you're not even working toward? Are you going to be one of those Ida? I'd have been a good preacher, but I didn't take the time to study. I'd have been a good person who was able to pray for people and let them get healed, but I didn't take the time to separate myself with God. I'd have been a good worshiper, but I really didn't take the time to prepare my skill of singing or playing an instrument. Abraham was a person who kept following his dream. Didn't matter what happened in his life. See, God is trying to get you through the testings to follow the dream that he has given you. God is helping you through, to overcome your family problems, your financial problems. He's giving you a dream. What are you doing with it? What is it that is laying unfulfilled in your life, in your heart, and in your spirit? No matter what we face in this life, it doesn't matter what we face, no matter how difficult it is, he said he's our shield. He's our strength. When the slings and the arrows of the enemy come and it feels like it's downpouring on us, you got to put the shield of the Lord up. He's supposed to be your shield. He's supposed to be your protector. He's supposed to be your encourager. And when we think that we can't do it anymore, I want to let you know we can. We can. I'm an example of being able to keep going when you didn't think you could. And if I can do it and God can be my shield, I'm telling you, God can be your shield. See, there's promises of God and there's plans of God for your life. They don't always come out the way we want. Sometimes the plans change because we've made choices. We've made some choices sometimes that are not part of God's plan for our lives. But oh well, he'll say, okay, I'll still be able to fulfill a part of the, the dream and plan if you just submit to me now. He says he works everything out for good. For I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And those are his words for you today. Don't be afraid. I will protect you. I will be your shield. And your reward will be great. Stand with me this morning. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I'm going to ask you, what was your dream? What did God give you? What has he given you that you just thought, ah, it's not going to happen? There's been too many testings in your life, too many things that have set you back, too many conflicts, too many failures. There's been wars, too many things. And now you're just there. And God is stirring something up inside of you saying, I gave you a dream and I gave you a vision. And those testings that came your way were not to discourage you. They were to encourage you. They were to draw you closer to me. And this morning, I want you to look deep inside. 
Look at what God has given you. Are you working toward it? Are you trusting God for it? Are you pushing past your own stuff and letting God do what he wants to do? And if you're here this morning and say, you know what, I, I really need prayer because I've let stuff get in the way. I want to be like Abram. I want to keep pursuing, persevering. And if you're part of that, why don't you raise your hand this morning? I want to pray with you. Amen. All over the place. God bless you. God bless you. And now I want to ask you want to take that second step and you want to come. I want to pray with you here at the altar. And as AJ begins to sing, I'm going to open up the altars for you to come this morning and let God rekindle in you what he's done already in your life. Uh,